What's up, guys? Back on the Mother Lovin' Podcast. My name is James Scully. I am coming to you in transcription from a secret location in the Arizona desert. This is Breaking Walls, the Wall Breakers Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2. And today we have the magnanimous, magnificent, magnetic graphic design rock star, UX master, Krav Maga badass, Colombian, New Jersey-ite, Lena Gonzalez. Lena's the kind of woman who stands out in a crowd. Is it the colorful hair? Possibly. Is it the tattoos? Probably. Or is it the self-aware look in her eyes and the genuine smile on her face? I think that's hitting the nail on the head. So today in this podcast, Lena and I sit down and we talk about things such as the difference between being a UX designer and a graphic designer, how you can inspire trust in your clientele through design, the benefits of not being afraid to fast fail and what fast failure is, Lena's experience working with Atlantic Records and how that shaped her going forward, and the differences between being an in-house designer at a company and an agency graphic designer. And there are big differences for those of you who have never worked at one or the other place. The difference between being a generalist and a specialist in life, and that's something that we really dive into, and that's a very interesting point of the interview. Gestantum work and what that means, it's a Bauhaus term that something I've lived my life by since I was first taught the term in high school, and I'll explain to you what that is, and we go into that in the podcast. And also, very importantly, advice for those who might feel stagnant or that they haven't moved forward in life or in their career in a while, and what you can do and some of the things that you can do to get yourself going back in the right direction, or at least feeling like you're going back in the right direction, because most of it genuinely is a mental thing. So coming right up, we have our interview with Lena. Stay tuned after this word from our sponsors. It was just last Monday on The Whistler that Signal Oil Company first announced new post-war Signal gasoline. Yet in that short week, thousands of Western drivers have made a wonderful discovery, a discovery of thrilling new performance they never dreamed was built into their cars. For new signal isn't just another gasoline, not just pre-war quality, not just an improvement on old-style gasoline, but an entirely new type super fuel that embodies in one giant stride the amazing advances of wartime chemistry. Yes, new signal is the new gasoline you can actually prove is superior. Prove it in four ways. One, with quicker starting the moment you touch the button. Two, faster pickup. You actually feel it. Three, higher anti-knock. Just listen to that old motor purr, even on steepest hills. And four, you'll find you go farther than ever with new signal. Because you'll be shifting less, enjoying more economical high-gear miles. Really now, wouldn't you like to discover just how much fun driving can be? The way to do that, you know, is to drive into one of the friendly stations displaying signals, familiar yellow and black circle sign, and say, fill her up with new signal gasoline. So you just got back from an eight-day trip to London. Yeah, so, so I was in London for eight days. Half of that time I was there for pleasure, just checking out uh, another city. I've never been there before. And then the other half of the time I was there for a conference. Mm-hmm. It's called UXPA. It's like a user experience conference. And uh, yeah, four days of lectures from like professionals in the industry giving you uh, tips and tricks and some workshops to go through to be a better UX designer. And even though I'm a graphic designer, I do work in a very UX heavy company. Mm -hmm. So I also think it's good competitive skill to have. But also... UX design touches upon some of the things that I care about, which is, like, people-focused design. Okay, so for somebody who doesn't know the difference between graphic design and, and user experience design, well, how would you describe to somebody, you know, like, yeah, as a graphic designer, I would do, this is what I touch, yeah. and as a, a user interface designer, this is what I would touch. Um, yeah, as a, as a UX designer, it's more uh, like research focused. It's less on the visual aspect of things. You're almost like an engineer and mm -hmm. you're making a blueprint for the house, right? Right. That's a good one. And then, and then there is the other person who actually brings the house to life. So like... Which maybe, is the designer. Yeah. The graphic like the, designer. Yeah. Like the interior designer. Like what is, what does it look and feel? You know, how are you navigating the space? Whereas like 
the person laying out the blueprint is the mathematician. Right. Yeah. So user experience designers go ahead and do really extensive user research and all sorts of different like technical methodologies. And then they turn those into like wireframes. Mm -hmm. And then the graphic designer turns those wireframes into like an actual visual interface that the person comes into contact with. So we, we basically put the skin on the skeleton. Right. And so correct me if I'm wrong, when you say does research, what that would mean is like, oh, somebody's using a website and they find that having a navigation for the website with these categories at the top works better than at the bottom because people will see it sooner or placing a button in a certain area or having a certain hierarchical state to the design will lead people in certain paths or have people enjoy or not enjoy the experience of being on this website. I think that's a part that the graphic designer takes over in terms of decision making. I mean the user experience designer does cover that, but I think what they cover more is the more basic fundamental need like one example I'll give you is like one project I work on worked on was like was for a financial client mm -hmm. and the people the kind of user base we were looking at were um, from like a third world country and they have specific needs and concerns like basically they don't trust financial companies because they've been exploited by the government and this is people who live in third world countries yeah uh, this third world country in particular. And so the user experience designer... Are you able to say the country that is? Yeah, Mexico. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how, like, ambiguous to keep it. Um, <laughs> Please continue. Sorry. It's okay. Um, so, yeah, the, the user experience designer, they would try to understand that user base and then come up with some sort of assumptions that they want to test. So, okay, so they don't trust financial clients. All right. Well, what are some things that we can do to help them like trust us? Um, I know maybe being more transparent with you know like the fine print because you know they think we're gonna charge high fees and stuff like that. We should explicitly tell them. And then so when they come up with these assumptions, they're like, okay, these are some things that we think will make it better for them to like trust this financial client. We're going to go and test this now. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they, they test it. They see whether it lines up. Um, if it doesn't, they adjust. And if it does, then then they, yeah, I guess they create a wireframe of, of maybe making a dashboard, like a financial dashboard on the website that, like, has a place that takes you to explaining where the fees are. But the graphic designer is more responsible for the actual, like, hierarchy and placement of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the graphic designer doesn't do it because it looks pretty. The graphic designer has to do it because it makes sense to the original logic. Does that make sense? Yes. If the hierarchy doesn't make sense and doesn't elicit trust from the user, then or the the person we're trying to solve the problem for, then like it's not going to be a good solution. Anyway, that's a long tangent about graphic design and UX. But so UX in a lot of ways is like you said earlier. It's the skeleton that graphic design becomes the meat and the bones for, mm -hmm. basically. It's the structure yeah. behind the look and feel yeah, and mm -hmm. why things are done in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Being a graphic designer, you went to college with me and you were a year below me. So I can say with confidence, we weren't learning specifically UX design no, at we Pratt. That's Definitely not what not. we were learning nope. in college. Nope. So for somebody who comes from a more traditional design background, how did you go from where you started to where you're winding up now? That's a good question. I think when you're in college, you have, like, this assumption of what you want to do. Like, uh, when I graduated Pratt, I was like, I want... But then again, I think it's the nature of the environment. You go to schooling, and Pratt is a very specific environment, i.e. 1990s print design. Yes. So About 10 years too late. Yeah, 10 years too late. So I, I graduated Pratt, and I was like... I want to be a book designer. Like, I want to be just like Chip Kid and design the most kick-ass book covers and, like, you know, be, like, clever and smart and, like, do witty images and shit like that. Or, like, some, yeah, like an editorial designer. And I got lucky at where I found, uh, like, a job at a school where I was, yeah, like an editorial designer for a kid's newspaper, which was 
very close to what I was interested in because not only was it print design, but it was also like behind a social cause that I believe in, which is like educating the future. Mm -hmm. I still actually believe in that, but then so more, very passionate about that. And then afterwards, I um, heard about a position open at Atlantic Records for a web design position. And I reached out to a friend that I knew worked there and she's like, oh yeah, like please send me your stuff. You know, and we'll see what you can do. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. I can't believe that. Okay, Atlantic Records, right on. And so from there to web design was a big shift. It's not web design in the sense that I do today. Mm -hmm. It's very much uh, more, now that I think about it, it's more of a marketing and production position. And what that means is basically like you're making banner ads and you're just following directions and just making stuff. Uh, you're not really following super awesome web practices, but that's fine. I think, I think for the the stepping stone that I was in, that was a really good like transition job. Just it was a huge learning experience. I got to meet and work with some very cool people, and that was also a very like personally creative fun job because musicians are really out there, and because you know you are still out of school like fresh mm -hmm. you're kind of still out there so you have a lot of creative freedom however you make some really beautiful looking sites but they're useless they're so useless but anyway so so there was that and i was there for i think after the two-year mark of being there i like had an understanding i was like okay web and technology actually has like a guideline like Atlantic Records was a little bit like the Wild West where there was no real accountability in terms of your design but but when you say that what do you mean when in terms of there's no there was no accountability there's no like UX designers I mean there were that we work with but there was no one had a real good understanding of like good design practices okay so so the structure of how to go about things was weak yeah Okay. Which at first, when you start off, it's awesome. But after you be that you're there for a while, like okay, this could probably be done better. Um, yeah. I don't know exactly what that is. You know, I'll do my best to do some homework, but that's yeah, probably not the way to go. So then afterwards, I I moved on to this other company. It's more like a consultancy um, agency. We do do a lot of user uh, experience research and we also do a lot of yeah like interface graphic design and and that also was a very and still is in some ways a huge transition because it's not the wild west here mm -hmm. it's 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 very much things have a, a groundwork set in place there's very much like design practices set in place um, it's a much more aggressive pace not saying the the environment is aggressive. I'm just saying like deliverables. Yeah, because Atlantic Records, when you work in house, mm -hmm. uh, that's another thing. There's a difference between in house design and agency design. Oh yeah. In house design is nice because you get to specialize on your things. However, the pace is, or in my experience, a little slower. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be different for like a startup, but for in house big company, it was like that. And then when you work agency wise. The nice thing is you get to work on a variety of different stuff, but you don't have a chance to specialize. You just hit the ground running. But that's also great, too, because you learn just tons of all sorts of different things. And, yeah, you're never really bored, ever. So it would seem to me a couple of things based on your career so far. I don't mm -hmm. want to call it short, but five years? Yeah, five years. Five years. You are very interested in why people do what they do. Yeah. So, and, and your path from being an editorial designer, transitioning slowly into more of a user experience pattern would make me think that you're trying to get to the bottom of why people function the way they function and how can you either affect that positively or, or you know, learn from it. And I also, it would seem to me that you are also interested in the reasons why people do what they do and how that affects you emotionally. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or can you elaborate more? On yeah, that? <laughs> absolutely. Um, uh, before we were on air, we were just yeah. talking about the conference that you were just at. Yeah. And the uh, experience you had with listening to the woman from yeah, yeah. Uh, Norway. Norway, yeah. Uh, speak about why she does things and how you felt compelled to go talk to her afterwards. Yeah. And that with no words specifically exchanged about what you were compelled to talk yeah. to her about, by her hugging you, it like released the energy 
and it kind of built up negative energy that you had and made you realize, like, oh, okay, I need to figure out my own path. Yeah. And based on that and the fact that you've gone from editorial design to record design to in-house design at a record agency to a more fast-paced environment in an agency side to, at the same time, learning UX and all this stuff, you are very interested in in organic personal growth, you know, and mm -hmm. figuring out your mm -hmm. path and what are we doing here and what's our purpose and mm -hmm. what are some ways that you consciously navigate that and looking back so far on your five-year tenure or mm -hmm. really 27-year tenure, <laughs> you know, like what, yeah. are, what are some ways that you think that you have subconsciously done those things? Well, you know, and looking back, you can go, oh, I did that because of this, but mm -hmm. at the time I was just doing, yeah, I wasn't yeah. thinking about why. Uh, that's a big question that I'm still trying to figure out. I will, the, the, when we breathe our last breath, yeah. we probably will only have figured it out shortly thereafter. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. I guess one thing about my personality and how I view things is I very much like try to see patterns. And when there's a pattern, I try to like figure out what that is. So for example, like what have I done in the past that has worked? What have, what have I done in the past that hasn't worked? What have I observed from other people that's worked for them and not worked? One of my really good friends, Monica, who lives in San Francisco, but used to work in an ad agency in New York, one of the things that I noticed about her approach, about just finding, navigating, and traveling through different careers and different titles and different positions is there's this thing called Agile, which is just kind of like a type of way of working where they very much value um, fast failures, getting to the problem as quickly as possible, and then like seeing if it, seeing if it works and, and doesn't work, and um, and then if it works, continue trucking along. If it doesn't work, drop it, try something else. Doesn't work, drop it again, try something else until it goes. And for Monica, she has the same kind of like I noticed pattern in her career where. She, I mean, but she's not saying that she's failed at all her careers, but she, like, will start at a position somewhere, stay a couple months. If it doesn't challenge her in the way that she feels like she's being challenged, she'll move on to something else and continue and continue building up on that. And uh, so much so that it's led her to, like, her dream job, which is basically, like, being a creative director at, like, a food company. And she's so, she's so much like a foodie. For me, I think my approach is less uh, speedy as that. I think what I've been doing is just seeing what my toolkit is. Mm -hmm. um, and expanding the toolkit. Yeah, because like, like I, I, I very much value this idea of being a Jill of all trades. <laughs> even though like, obviously you being a Jill of all trades makes you like a master of none, but... I think it's important for me personally to be a generalist because I like this idea of having a wide scope, a wide range of tools in my toolbox to then solve the problem. Mm -hmm. Some people like being more specific and like honing in with like a laser-like focus on one thing. But for me, I, I like having a wide, broad base of knowledge, which is why like my career, I feel like has bounced around in different industries. Like yep. I did educational publishing and then I did the entertainment industry. And now I'm doing work for financial clients and book publishing. And I was doing print design and now I'm doing like digital design. But I've had some people look at my resume and like question me about that. And I feel really good about it actually. I don't feel bad that like, you know, I bounced around from place to place because at the end of the day, wherever I end up, all that base of knowledge I can just pull from and contribute to this kind of big idea or this big project I want to work on. I don't like the idea of limiting myself to a specific industry. I think some people think it's important to and I think in some ways it does work for some people because it's in some sense it's good to specialize because you can really become an expert in your field and maybe it's easier for you to find work and it's maybe easier for you to climb the the ladder but for me because I'm a really just curious person and I don't like limiting my mind I just really want to stick my hand in everything well it would seem to me and I agree with you. And I, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I'm obviously somebody who, I don't believe in the term jack of all trades or jill of all trades, master of none. Mm -hmm. I think that's a crock, you know. It's yeah? Like, are you telling me that <laughs> I shouldn't try my hand at different things because yeah. that 
I, could, I should only be able to master mm-hmm. one thing at a time. I think that there are two different kinds of people then. Mm. Tacticians yeah. and snipers, you know? Yeah, yeah. Somebody who can look at the big picture. And the person who can look at the big picture can't be the one to go in there with the scalpel. Yeah. Because their skills aren't sharp enough yeah, in that yeah, one yeah. thing. And you need the other person yeah. who can go in there and accomplish that task, yeah, but yeah. you can't have that person who's the sniper right. doing something that's out of their realm of understanding. Yeah, but yeah. if you can understand 50% of everything, mm-hmm. you can bring in people who understand 100% of one thing exactly, and yeah, let yeah. them do it better than you can, but at least understand what it is that they are doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think um, maybe the reason why people are sometimes uh, critical on resumes of that is because they all, they fall into one category mm-hmm. or the other. Or maybe, you know, also when you, um, when you look at a resume and see somebody who bounces around a lot, mm-hmm. the general thing to think is this person is a flake. Mm-hmm. And I think that also means, it's not that this person is a flaky person, it's that I have to worry about this person leaving me scrambling. Mm-hmm. When you run a business, you want somebody who's reliable first, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, I, yeah. I can rely on them to be here on time every yeah. day. And it's interesting that you brought up Monica Lowe about that, because uh, fast. I think fast failure is the way to go. And I think that we as people are afraid of failure sometimes. Yeah. And if you fail at one thing, that means you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, no, but in order to succeed, you must fail yeah. so that you can learn. And you can, you know, yeah. there's a word that I was taught in high school. It's I might be mangling it, but it's a Bauhaus word, and, uh-huh. and which works for us being that Pratt is basically a Bauhaus school. Yeah. And it's gustantum work. And I might not be pronouncing it right, but it basically means in totality. Mm. So it's to look at the picture and it's kind of like, all right, if you're going to design a house, mm-hmm. well, how does that house look? How do the rooms function? In those rooms, yeah, yeah. how are things laid out? How do the yeah. things that are laid out look? You know, mm-hmm. it, it's taking a look and it's, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me that you, maybe because of your uh, education at Pratt being mm-hmm. that kind of school where yeah. Pratt, at Pratt we were it was mandated that we took such a breadth of courses mm-hmm. that as adults in the world we we, we long for that and we look for that we mm-hmm. don't want to sit with a scalpel the rest of our mm-hmm. lives because yeah. you know what mm-hmm. am I missing something you know yeah. Like, so yeah I think too so so to really quickly touch upon the the success is about going from failure to failure. It reminds me of a quote by someone that I forgot, but they said, success is being able to move from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. It's hard to fail. Yeah. But then when you do yeah. fail, you go, oh, like, yeah, that's yeah. it? I, I, I'm not dead? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's, or I think it's hard that when you fail, what, what I find is the most time consuming, actually, is picking yourself up, uh, like picking, recovering from the failure to get back to the pace that you were before. So again, fast failures, like quickly iterating. It's But back to the, the generalist idea. So when I was at UXPA, which was this conference in London, the first keynote speaker, which was uh, Julian Hurst, he was the VP of Android. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about, he was talking about the future. And he made a point that I, I kind of agreed with. Basically, the future will require more generalists. And I, in some ways, I, I agree. I know that today, we very much are, are very much interested in a specialist. But I think the fact that technology changes, our industries change so much, the world is changing. If you are a generalist, you actually are better set for the future and better equipped for the future because there's a technology that is yet to be created out there, maybe in the labs of Google right now, that requires someone who doesn't code, actually. Right. Or someone, maybe it requires someone with, like, a motion graphics background. Or an industry that we haven't yet really thought about in terms of tech. And I think if you just focus so much and hone in on one thing, you don't open yourself up to the the palette of opportunities that might occur. It's like it's like food. Why, Why? would you limit? Yeah, exactly. Why would you just eat chicken every yeah, day for the all rest the time. of your life? Yeah. There's like Indian food. There's sushi. Just really, I think another thing too is is when you're creative, when you're internally creative. I, I noticed this more recently. There's people who have like visually rich worlds in their head, yeah. and then there's people that don't. The vi- people with the visually rich worlds 
might need more like avenues to do stuff. Yeah, I think I think for people like that, satisfaction comes harder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. and those are the generalists. Like mm -hmm. I think in this world, yeah, you know, yeah. to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and maybe also two specialists don't understand how to tie themselves to each other, but a generalist will understand how to tie those two specialists to each other, even if mm -hmm. he, he or she can't execute yeah. what that specialist can do. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Being creative is about connecting two unrelated ideas. Mm -hmm. And I think people with that creative spark see ideas that most people are like, what the hell are you doing? So another thing that we were talking about before this podcast was the last keynote speaker. Her name was Anna Kiram. She's a, a design anthropologist from Oslo, Norway. And she was sharing a story about her daughter who made cookie soup. And she like threw them into a bowl of soup or a bowl of water. And right when she was about to like reprimand her daughter, she was just like, oh wait, this this is what society does to creative people. Society says, no, that's wrong. Like, you're not supposed to put those two things together. They don't belong together. But she realized then and there, like, everyone's born innovative. Everyone connects seemingly insane, unrelated ideas like cookies and soup. But it's it's the society and the structure and the way that we feel like things should be that, like, mashes those things out. Mm -hmm. So would you say, then, in general, for people who... And while we're talking about creativity in general, but just hitting some sort of wall in life, would you say that one of the best ways to go about circumventing that wall or getting past it, mm -hmm. since we are the wall breakers, breaking yeah. through the wall, yeah. would be a willingness to be curious yeah, and to get past a fear of failure yeah, because of that curiosity? Yeah, I think, yeah, getting through like any sort of ruts involve yeah just approaching your problem differently and that's super scary it's something that i think about currently but going back to to what i was talking about earlier about me being like a pattern thinker mm -hmm. when i think about situations in my life where i felt stuck creative wise be it like personal life wise and saw results from actions that I've done. I noticed that whenever I did the unexpected, it was a huge, incredible, impactful, in some ways, life-changing experience. Yeah. Well, you have to put yourself out there in order to grow as a person. Yeah. And when you do experience moments of growth, it's like being a kid and jumping into the deep end for mm -hmm. the first time. Yeah, yeah. And you're scared. Most people, you know, yeah. oh, you know, am I going to drown, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And then when you do it, you realize how much fun it was yeah. to do that. And it's really not as... Yeah. Failure or putting yourself out there in general. The fear of failure, I guess, is what prevents people from putting themselves mm -hmm. out there. Yeah, yeah. And putting yourself out there is such an enriching, happiness-bringing... Mm -hmm. For all of that anxiety, yeah, yeah. it's like instantaneously switches to levels of happiness that yeah. you didn't realize you possessed, you know? Yeah. There really is no such thing as stagnancy mm -hmm. in this world it's just that we allow it upon ourselves to happen because mm -hmm. to be or not to be do you allow yourself to just go down the path that everybody else wants you mm -hmm. to or do you take control and mm -hmm. yeah it's almost like maybe the answer in some ways if you feel stuck it's almost like sitting down and doing a venn diagram mm -hmm. of like mm -hmm. what are the things that make me feel good and what are the things that make me feel bad yeah and how do i start to focus on doing more of these things yeah yeah to make me feel good and of course in the world and actual world you need an income to survive yeah yeah so it's okay well these things make me feel really good yeah and i like them how do i figure out how to make some money while mm -hmm. doing that it's hard too because i'm kind of struggling with this personally like cool i'm really good at these things but to be honest like it's gonna be really hard to like make a living off of the things i'm good at it is possible however the road is going to be hard and difficult and it actually might not work out so you might need a plan b but people who truly believe like they are destined to be a fine artist painter okay they're good at color theory and they're good at like intellectual concepts and expressing them through through their painting and then they go and do it but just be realistic with yourself and understand like that might not make any money at least for the first year or so or it might not ever well if you're looking for instantaneous success yeah usually your passions are not the place to look yeah. in some ways you know I think, as strange as that yeah. sounds i think what's hard too is i i personally struggle like it's very it's very hard to boil down what 
you believe you're good at and what you're passionate on and then try to figure out how to make a livelihood out of that mm -hmm. because one this goes back to the user experience thing like you can have an idea but if you don't test it like if you don't if people if people don't want it they're not going to buy into it that's why like there's tons of shitty stuff out there that just no one wants and no one buys you know like sitting on shelves and stuff because like no one really has a need for that so that i feel like that's the same or that's intellectually the thing i struggle with me personally is you can be very passionate about painting blue chairs and like that's all you want to do in your entire life you're really good at it you're really good at like deciphering which shade of blue go with like which type of architecture of chair and you're like super awesome at that but like if no one really finds value in that or really gives a damn, like, it's personally fulfilling to you, but don't expect it to really take off. Well, but I also think that if you are really passionate about blue chairs and mm -hmm. what kinds of blue go with what kinds mm -hmm. of chair, it would be helpful to meet as many like-minded people as you can mm -hmm. because through blue chair theories... You might meet somebody who is passionate about blue chairs and also <laughs> passionate about blue tables and yeah. red lampshades. And, you know That's what I mean? True. And like, through meeting like-minded people, you wind up expanding your horizons. Yeah. I think, I think that that makes sense. Like, one thing I'm trying to, like, negotiate is, like, I feel like in some sense I'm pragmatic. And I just try to think about, like, what, what gives value to other people. Not necessarily value to myself. I guess this goes back to like my career now that I think about it. I consistently, the question is like, does what I do bring value to other people other than the intrinsic obvious thing? Like, oh, they can check this Mexican user base. Now feel they can like trust and check this account balance online. Like, that's great. But like, what is the true like value? Like, mm -hmm. and I don't feel like currently I'm there yet. Mm -hmm. I feel like I was pretty close with the, the kids' newspaper job because I feel the real value that I was contributing with my work there was that like I was basically educating the next generation of like future CEOs or future presidents. They're curious about what's going on in Europe right now or maybe Gaza might be too heavy a subject for kids, but just getting them thinking about the world. Right. Um, and that's super valuable to me and it's great that I can bring that value to other people. And now being that that was your first job, yeah. to me it seems like, and this would be the case for everybody really, you couldn't have known that the path that would have been right for you would be the first mm. without experiencing all of the ones that come after Yeah. That. To go back to the beginning, mm -hmm. in the end. Yeah, know? yeah. And then it's almost like the gestanten work, that term, too. You have to understand it all before yeah. you can figure out. Yeah. I think about it, too. Like, um, so so my boss, or my ex-boss from Atlantic Records, Eric Snowden, he now works for Behance. Mm -hmm. um, I know what that is, actually. Yeah. Super cool guy. But he, I feel like, had a, a pretty diverse background. He went to school, I think, for fine arts, for painting. And then he landed a job at, like, Warner Music. No, I, sorry. I think he worked at, like, an ad agency before. And then worked at Warner Music doing... I don't remember. This is very vague. Eric, if you're listening, I'm very sorry. I'm screwing up your career. Um, well, at least what decades was this? Been like talking like 70s, 80s, 90s? This is like, I think this is the early 2000s. Okay. So anyway, he, he's just had a wide palette of like different types of jobs. And eventually when he landed as the, the VP of digital at Atlantic Records, all that wide, broad spectrum based knowledge actually suited him perfectly for that job mm -hmm. because he had experiences that were diverse to pull from. I feel like when you're at an ad agency, you learn, basically you think about your clients, you think about how communicating to your clients, you learn about like, yeah, color composition, mm -hmm. aesthetics. And then when you work at like a digital marketing position, you learn about the internal politics and you know, business. Yeah. And I don't know if those are all separate things that he picked up on, but that's what I garnered from my conversations with him. So that wide background suited him perfectly for that position. And it suited him perfectly for his job at Behance, where now he's doing stuff for creative people and just helping thinking about their online experience 
experiences, because he helped mentor and work with a bunch of us creatives here at Atlantic, I feel like all this kind of wide range of stuff, yeah, definitely is going to one day just contribute at the end or where I eventually land. I wonder, you know, as we're sitting here talking, and I'm, I'm going back to the question in my mind of the overarching theme, which would be, you know, how to continue to grow as a person would be that the way to do it. Because yeah. you do kind of have to take matters into your own hands for the most part in the actual world. And I think that sometimes when you go to school your whole life, you're basically taught that growth comes with time or, you know, like... You finish the 10th grade, you go to the 11th. That's mm -hmm. growth. And then you learn another yeah, like, curriculum that somebody's like decided. milestones. Yeah, there are milestones that are built into your world that, as adults, aren't necessarily there. You could work the same job for 60 years, living and dying in the <laughs> same desk every day. Yeah, yeah. And it almost seems to me like if you are the kind of person who is a generalist in your nature and you like a lot of different things, when you start to feel like you're unsatisfied, which might come sooner than to someone else mm -hmm. because you like a lot of different things, mm -hmm. don't be afraid to then try a bunch of different things mm -hmm. because in the end, the totality that you've picked up mm -hmm. will lead you to a path more suited to you because all of the experiences that you've had will help shape you. And if you are the kind of person who is more of a specialist and you are really passionate about something, mm -hmm. but then in some ways it's almost like, don't be afraid to maybe go out of that passion, mm -hmm. but how honed in can you get then? You know what I mean? Yeah, can yeah. you go in the other direction then? Because yeah. e either you are somebody who likes the big picture or you're somebody who yeah. sees things yeah. in a very regimented way. And yeah. So some people might really need to hone in and get that scalpel. Yeah. And other people might want to look yeah. at the whole picture. So where I work, a couple of the project leads have done this diagram. Basically, it's a wave that reaches the top, and then it arcs down and reaches the bottom, and then mm -hmm. the wave comes back up. And then it has like a mirror image of itself on the bottom. Oh, yeah. So basically, it's just these two waves getting large and coming back in and getting small and touching each other. It's almost like a life arc, though. Yeah, and so when they do that diagram, they're usually using that to explain, like, our approach to the project, because the project will enter different phases, and some phases require the wide lens, mm -hmm. where you're doing exploration. This is actually really good that we're talking about this, because I actually didn't realize this, but exploration, it requires doing a lot of different variations of a design, all sorts of just crazy ideas out there and then when you get to the bottom of the arc where the two lines intersect and they come back in you then refine it's a refinement period like okay we learned that maybe this doesn't work and we gotta toss that out let's bring it back in let's take these two ideas that we feel we were are working and then you bring it back out again you're like let's take these two ideas and see what's working in them and refine them right because like explore them even further and things i think maybe sometimes get so finite and refined mm -hmm. but they stop serving their purpose after mm -hmm. a while yeah because everything around it evolves and then they have to mm -hmm. it's like a beating heart in a yeah. way i don't know they you know at every peak is going to be followed by an equally low balanced out because it all has to even at some point mm -hmm. you know like ener the energy yeah. in the world has to flatline you know so yeah. if it's going to jump high it's going to go lower yeah and to that end like it's always darkest before the dawn basically. yeah you know you have to bottom out before you can right back up so now that i think about it it's good to yeah have like that broad base that you can pull from but i think now that i think about it you should probably pull it back in into something which is why like some people land in, in specific spots that actually are perfect for them. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think about this later, afterwards. <laughs> but, uh, so you were talking about how to get out of creative... But you answered that question, okay. basically. When you hit the bottom... Yeah and you're feeling like whatever you're doing no longer serves its purpose. Mm -hmm. Exploration, research, looking inward, looking in the mirror and saying, you've got to make some alterations to what you're doing here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is the way to grow. Yeah. And then in that growth, yeah, like you're saying too, you can't just be all over the place all the time, yeah, because yeah, then yeah. you don't actually advance, you get stuck too, because yeah. you have to sit and focus on something. It's something. Right, right. And then you bring it back in. And you bring then, it back in, yep. So basically we're just saying that life is a cycle. Of uh, broad strokes and narrow ones. And, yep, yep. But it all goes down to a willingness to be self-aware and look at yourself, mm -hmm. to look in the mirror, and mm -hmm. to explore, to, to mm -hmm. be curious, to play, yeah, to, to have fun. To play and to have fun, yeah. Uh, I think that's super important. Well, you know, sometimes the world doesn't want you to have fun. No. Fun doesn't... Fun doesn't Not on their dime, at least. That, that's the best way to put it. Yeah, have fun on someone else's time. Right? Yeah. 
I almost wonder if that's like a way that we're schooled or something like that that yeah. does that. Do you have any um, Do you have any thoughts or, or bits of advice, like final bits of advice you would offer someone who feels like they're coming to a point or they've been at a point where the stagnancy that is maybe what they're doing for yeah, their yeah. career is even starting to affect the rest of their life? What mm -hmm. you would tell them? You know, you pretty much spent 40 minutes yeah, telling yeah. somebody. Yeah, if you're stuck, know that you're not alone and that you're not the only one in that problem. Also know that the way you feel is legitimate because there will be moments where you feel like things are going well for everyone else except for you. And if that's the case, understand that you're not alone and the way you feel is totally fine. You're allowed to feel that way. The thing is just don't spend too much time in there because that will definitely like drive you nuts. And yeah, I don't know. I'm, I myself am figuring it out. But like I said, just looking at patterns, looking, maybe looking at your heroes, right? Or looking at people that excite you, uh, looking at people who like made you feel something, and then looking at their patterns and see like what did they do that like worked out for them and didn't work out for them. Maybe let me try that and try to replicate that and see if that works for me. And then trying it, and if it doesn't work, then you know changing your approach. But we're all in this together. Yeah, and it's almost like there's no amount of money that can turn unhappiness into happiness. Mm -hmm. But there's like a surprisingly little amount of money mm -hmm. that can generate happiness when you're already happy you know what mm -hmm. i mean like yeah yeah so some books i've i've read there's one um called you are not so smart it's about psychological fallacies like mm -hmm. human psychology it's called the cost deficit fallacy i think and it happens to all of us and i'm not saying this is not you know not legitimate but uh basically where you have less means and then eventually you become to you come to accept and appreciate those less means whereas where you had more options to do things if you type in on Google you are now less dumb you can actually like look up where these fallacies are help understand your own biases but anyway just be careful of the stories you tell yourself because they might be like impeding your growth and your happiness and like humans are really mean like good meaning making machines mm -hmm. like we like creating meaning out of everything um as long as it serves our needs that's the so, way to put it yeah then again i'm like i'm very like much a logical realist so that i think a lot about these things but when i look at people who are successful like those biases actually work in their favor mm -hmm. they create a meaning that push them forward so I have my own conflicts because I myself I want success in my career in my life but I want the truth and sometimes those things are not compatible right I wonder or mm -hmm. I'm not saying that they're not but I wonder if they're not compatible and I feel like in some areas they're not compatible mm -hmm. sometimes you have to tell yourself the lie so much that you believe it and then it becomes real it's actually been uh, well not documented, but well spoken about that if, you know, you are what you pretend to be. Right. Like if you don't feel confident and then you suddenly like sit up straight, project your voice, make direct eye contact, walk into room and, and are consistently like that, eventually the insecurity or the lack of confidence disappears and you are that person now. Well, I think then all goes back to what we were, it's the same point that we're making over and over again. And I know that you can be a... An, oh, introvert and extrovert? An introvert or an yeah. extrovert, yeah. But I also think regardless of whether or not you would identify your... If someone would identify themselves as an introvert or an extrovert, it seems to me that the best way to grow is to think and act outside of your box. The yeah. more you can put yourself out there in some form or another, yeah, yeah. the more confident you'll become that yeah. these, that putting yourself out there is the right thing to do. Yeah. And, I think that's the consistent truth. Putting yourself out there, whether it succeeds or fails, always leads you to a better place later on anyway. Right. So. Everybody's afraid, mm -hmm. but if you just sit in the closet with the light out all the time, mm -hmm. whatever you've been afraid of mm -hmm. will always be yeah. there. Now that I think about it, like I feel like it's an inevitability. You have to grow in life. Because if you don't grow or challenge yourself, you're going to, to suffer. You will torture. Yeah. You will be tortured. <laughs> Absolutely tortured. Yeah. yeah. So in a ways, even though this sounds super cold, you don't have a choice. But you do have a choice in which things you want to check out and explore and nurture yourself. So that's awesome. <laughs> right. Because if you think about it, life is made up of a series of experiences. Mm -hmm. So how would sitting in a room, whether 
philosophically or physically, mm-hmm. how would that bring anything to your life? The life is, is the world is what your life is, and it's out there somewhere. You know, mm-hmm. getting out there and doing stuff will lead yeah. you down not necessarily the right path, yeah, yeah. but a different path. Yeah, yeah. Another thing too that I'm, I'm kind of thinking about while we're talking is like it's very easy for us to think in like a deficit mindset, like a negative mindset. Just because, like, when we were monkeys, or not monkeys, sorry, when we were, like, just Neanderthals, it was more useful for us to be scared out of, like, scared of everything, because that way, like, we could survive as a species. Mm-hmm. It's it's good to kind of confuse the bush for a bear, because chances are, like, if one out of the ten situations that you confuse that bush for a bear, it actually might be a bear. And luckily, like, you were paranoid way in advance and, like, saved your ass. So the challenge that it brings us to today in the modern area is that we don't really need those mechanisms anymore. But they are so ingrained in us that it's hard to break out of them. So I think one thing that I personally try to do, can't say I'm successful at it all the time, is moving away from that deficit mindset and think more about just things that actually could go right. Right. Don't look, don't, if that's just glass half empty versus yeah, glass yeah. half full. Don't assume nine times out of ten, sure, it ain't a bear, it's a bush, mm-hmm. but, you know, you saved yourself for that one mm-hmm. encounter, mm-hmm. but those other nine times, you would not, you wouldn't know, oh, there are strawberries in this yeah. bush and they taste delicious, you exactly. know, like, how would you ever know? If you're yeah. afraid of everything, yeah. you accomplish nothing. Now that I think about it, like, human civilization and human advancement has only occurred because there was that one person who was like, you know what, that bush is not a bear for sure. It has strawberries. I don't, I've never seen these red berries before. They might be poisonous. I have no idea. There's only one way of finding out. They taste good. I'm still alive. Well, strawberries for everybody. Yeah, right. So. With discovery comes mm-hmm. the innate built-in percentage that this could lead to something yeah. bad. But that percentage is always way smaller than that it could lead to something good. Yeah. Know? And I mean, within reason, you know, mm-hmm. you're skydiving without a parachute. That's dumb. Yeah. yeah. Right. So using common sense, but not being afraid. <laughs> yeah. To... So yeah. So using, using the additive instead of deficit, the additive, these are words that I've made up, but I know, but they, but they're perfectly yeah. um, correct. The additive mindset to kind of like help you reach your goalpost or figure out where your goalpost is. Another person that I kind of like go to for inspiration is this, it's cheesy, this motivational speaker called, like, Tony Robbins. Yeah, of course, Tony Robbins. And and he brings up a really excellent point where sometimes when we're in shit situations and trying to, like, troubleshoot, we actually sometimes ask ourselves really crappy questions. And because we're in a negative mindset? Yeah, the deficit mindset. Like, usually the question is, why is this happening to me? You know, like, no one understands me. Yeah, it's like, not big picture thinking. yeah. Where, like, the additive mindset would be like, okay, what else can I do to make this awesome? Mm -hmm. You know? Doesn't that feel better? But doesn't that also give you a specific idea of how to, like, get out of your, or improve your situation? Yeah, because when you think of the word awesome, it automatically calls up things into your own mind. Yeah. Oh, cheeseburgers are awesome. <laughs> or this, that, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever yeah. you really like in yeah. life. And I think that goes back to the other point of looking at if you feel like you're stuck and you're at a point where you you have to break through that wall. Mm-hmm. Look at all the things in life that you enjoy and the things that call positive glass full connotations yeah. into your brain and explore them further because going the other way and looking at all the things you hate will yeah, never yeah, bring yeah, you yeah. to a positive yeah. solution. Yeah, for sure. Do you have anything that you want to plug? Websites? Your own website? Yeah, sure. So uh, I have a, a Twitter account. It's uh, Lina Tick, L-I-N-A-T-I-C. Usually I post like really witty stuff that happens to me. Sar- some sarcastic dark humor, some you know very deep, meaningful quotes from people that inspire me. I'm also like very fascinated by like science and psychology. So I post that on my Twitter, so if you're interested in any of those things, uh, please follow me. Uh, my personal website has some pretty cool stuff, and you should check it out. It's uh, Lina, L-I-N-A. I guess that's underscore? A, uh, no, not underscore, dash. Slash, yeah. Slash G dot com. Um, horizontal slash, right? Horizontal slash. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Not the long one, the short one. That's such a that's such a graphic design. Not an M dash or Not an, an M dash or an N dash. But a dash. Did it just a dash? Yeah. Um, so Lena dash G. Yeah, Lena dash G dot, dot com. That's it. 
All right, great. Cool, well, thanks. thank you. Yeah. <laughs>So what'd you guys think? I felt like that was a really powerful conversation between Lena and I, and the conversation itself took a lot of unexpected turns, but I thought in the end, we did a really good job of trying to present actionable results that people could take with them and utilize for their own lives. And that's one thing that you'll notice as these podcasts go on that I'm going to really try to do. They're conversations with interesting people, and that's fantastic, but we also have to be able to turn around and give you guys information that if you wanted, you could apply to your own life. Because otherwise, we're just having conversations with our friends, and that doesn't really get us to the point where we're breaking walls, and that's the point. We are the wall breakers. So, a couple of quick things. Once again, Lena's website is www.lina-g.com. And her Twitter account has actually changed. She's changed her handle since we last spoke. And her Twitter account is at L-I-N-A-P-S-E and then an underscore under it. So L-I-N-A-P-S-E underscore. Next week on the podcast, we have Brooklyn-based illustrator Brett Affronti. And Brett and I sit down and talk about what it's like to be a freelance illustrator in today's market and how you could be a successful freelancer in the first place, regardless of the field that you're in. And with that comes some things like what social media tools to use, how to get your name out there, what kind of portfolio sites you should be on, what kind of online thumbprint you're going to need to keep your name and your work in the hearts and the minds of your prospective clientele and your fans as well so that they can continue to become brand ambassadors for your work out of love and spread the word for you because that's what we all really need to do in this world to help each other out is just find the things that we enjoy and the people who create them pair up with them and help spread everybody's word out there and then it won't feel like something that you need to do It'll just feel like life. So once again, I want to thank Lena Gonzalez for being on the podcast this week. And so once again, guys, I want you to keep getting out there. I want you to free yourself from your insecurities. Remember, those that mind don't matter and those that matter don't mind. Those insecurities that you have, they're only in your mind. So keep getting out there. Keep breaking those walls. Have yourself a great week. And I'll see you real soon. Manhattan, the Bronx and Staten Island too. 